Hi, and welcome to a special edition of Cause Pods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Now, normally on the show, we feature one podcaster using the medium to raise awareness for a good cause. But as luck would have it, I was recently connected to an incredible charity event around the corner from my house by my good friend, Joe Pardo. And so today on Cause Pods, I'm going to be doing the podcasting specifically for a good cause. On Sunday, February 27th, I was invited to set up shop at Forgotten Boardwalk's Spice of Life annual charity event to raise awareness for organ donation. Joined by the National Kidney Foundation and Gift of Life donor program, Forgotten Boardwalk opened its doors to the community and featured games, delicious food from Hog Day Afternoon, and of course, a fine selection of specially crafted beers, including a few created just for this event. This event was the brainchild of Seth Dollard, a sales guy for the brewery who donated his kidney 13 years ago to a special guest who sat down with me, Sharon Dollard. That would be Seth's mom. Tell us a little bit about your decision to donate your kidney and to, you know, be willing to, you know, make this huge decision. It takes me back a little while to uh, 1997. I believe my grandfather at the time had offered it to my mom when we found out that, you know, should she ever need one, where would she get it? My grandfather ended up getting pancreatic cancer, passed away in 1998. But even back then, I said, just take mine. So fast forward to 2004 or 2003 when we found out she really needed one, I said, take mine. And he was 23 when he gave me a kidney. So wow. that's pretty young age to make that decision. It wasn't, wasn't a decision. It was just something that had to be done. Sharon, what was it like when you heard that your son said, just take mine? I mean, what was your feeling? What was your reaction to that? It was an amazing feeling because I knew I was dying and I would have died if I waited on a list. The lists are very long in New Jersey and New York. And they tell you to go to your siblings, but I had a sibling that wasn't even interested in all. And my own mother was very upset that I asked a sibling. And I said... My own son volunteered. He knew it wasn't a risk. I wouldn't put him through that. And I did hesitate because it was my son, but the doctors guaranteed me that nobody has any health issues after this, and they live a full and long life because people are born with one kidney and live and don't even know that. Wow, that's fantastic. So with this incredible story that you're able to give and you're able to receive and have enjoyed life together now for as you know for this much time since that happened um talk to us about how the whole spice of life event came to be and um, what you hope to accomplish here so the spice of life uh the first event was in january 2015 because forgotten boardwalk opened up october 2014 uh since the kidney donation that happened on january 26 2003 by the way Happy birthday. Thank I forgot you. to call you it's, yesterday. I'm only 13 today. <laughs> ah, happy <So> birthday. <laughs> every year Thank I you. would show up to where she was working at the time at school and, you know, wish her a happy birthday and give her a can of uh, kidney beans from Goya. <laughs> and just as a joke. And, you know, the event, the, the date was approaching and, you know, having the facility available to us, we decided to, you know, celebrate the spice of life and to just make a beer, you know, just to sort of commemorate it and see if people would rally around the idea of promoting organ donation awareness. So the first event went really well unexpectedly, and we decided for the next year to, you know, let's use this facility as, you know, a medium to encourage people to donate, you know, donate life and become an organ donor or the importance of it and just talking to everyone and why I made the decision or, you know, she now has three grandchildren that she never would have seen. So it's there's a lot of meaning and there's not enough education out there so it's an event we love doing every year i mean sharon i'm sure you're overwhelmingly proud of your son for this you know amazing decision and for what it's been able to give you but and disappointed that i'm drinking a beer right now and too much beer <laughs> <laughs> but tell me a little bit about you know your impression of this event and what you hope that uh, folks who are here will get out of it, and especially if they have a chance to talk to you or, or listen to this particular recording. Well, it's made quite a difference in my life. I was able to continue working. I was a special education teacher. I was able to continue my life. And like my son said, I have three grandchildren, and when he's around, I thank him because <laughs> I never would have 
been there for them and to know them and it's an amazing thing it's just absolutely amazing and I don't know for sure but there are some religions where they're not sure if they can donate or whatever and the education has to get out there it really does so how you know how do you two outside of this event how do you two advocate for living organ donations and and you know encouraging people to donate if they can you attend a lot of conferences and um, I have a little decal on my car that says a living kidney donor. And every once in a while, you know, someone will, you know, ask me about it. And, yeah, I just talk their ear off for about 10 minutes <laughs> until they realize they need to disengage. Or, you know, I point them in the right direction to if they want to learn more. And I also have where people in the neighborhood and the surrounding areas know because it was in the newspaper a picture of us one of the local papers and they'll ask me and someone's going to call me this week that's waiting for a kidney so I try to give them some information of where to call and where to try to get some information that might help them they might not have anyone in their family that's willing to or able to what other encouraging words what other ways do you help folks that are either thinking about donating or who are about to be the recipient of you know this incredible gift? Basically, just look at the two of us, and you see we're fine, and we live normal <laughs> lives. Well, it's debatable. Yeah, Seth is making a face at the crowd right now. <laughs> I know. Well, it's the I, only face I have. I know. <laughs> well, this is a, a great event. It's you know the house is filling up quite nicely as we're sitting here, and and it's so nice to you know hear this kind of story that um, at 23 you were able to give your mother this incredible gift and as you said she's been around since then to mm -hmm. see her grandchildren to, to nag him too to nag him too <laughs> my father's not too happy <laughs> <laughs> well Sharon and Seth this is an incredible story this is an incredible event that you're putting on um, I just want to thank you so much for, for your inspiration to everybody thank you for being thank here thank you very much and helping. we have seen people sign up to donate so it's wonderful just one new donor can have a huge impact but many more than that left having made a commitment to be an organ donor from that day on. So to better understand how organ donations work, I spoke with Andrea Giannini. She's development manager for the National Kidney Foundation's Delaware Valley office about their campaign, The Big Ask, The Big Give, regarding living donations like the one Seth made to his mom. We're here sharing information um, about living donations. So we have a lot of people in the kidney community that are in need of a new kidney. We, because of that, have created a platform called The Big Ask, The Big Give, where we're teaching people that need a kidney how to share their story, what their story is, where to share that story so they can make that ask. And then people that are considering giving can have the information, the education, and kind of we can squash some myths they might be thinking um, about making that decision to give. Um, but our bigger message at the National Kidney Foundation is prevention. So we want to teach people what their kidneys do, how to treat their kidneys, so that they don't get to the stage where they have to ask for a kidney. So we're trying to bring awareness, and we have a campaign called Heart Your Kidneys because we think the kidneys don't get enough love. A lot of the other organs in the body, the heart and different organs, you know, they're kind of like the at the center of what's important, and we want to make sure that the kidneys get just as much attention. So what are some of the big myths that you're looking to quash in this year? Um, a lot of people think that you have to have somebody that you know that you want to give your kidney to in order to donate, and that's not true. You can donate altruistically. Here we have a, a list of all of the transplant centers in the tri-state area. So if you were looking to donate, you could just call up that center. Um, you could tell them that you're willing to donate, and they would take you through the process. Um, there is a, a lot of people think that you get paid if you donate a kidney. You can't get paid. You can't sell your kidney. None of that is allowed. Um, we actually get emails at work often where people say, I'd like to sell my kidney. I need to get rid of it. And it just doesn't work mm, that way. Sorry, no. <laughs> yeah, the market for that, that is not as strong as you'd like <laughs> no to No market. Is there also, um, if I understand correctly, there is also programs where if, let's say you want to donate to someone who you know and love, but you're not a match that by donating, you can help them out by getting somebody else's kidney who wants to do the same? Create. So, um, yeah, you're correct. That's called a chain. And so you could be in a small chain um, where there's three people, where, or four people, I guess, technically, where it moves along um, the line. We know people that have been involved in a 100-person chain. Wow. So your one decision can essentially help the lives of 100 people, wow, which is incredible. really amazing. There's also... Um, 
different states have different things going on, but there's, um, I believe it's in the state of New Jersey, there is a kind of like an IOU ticket. So for example, this grandmother, her, um, her daughter had twins and one of the twins they knew was gonna need a new kidney, but wouldn't be able to get it until about, she was 13 years old. And the grandma said, well, I don't know if in 13 years my kidney will be well enough to donate. And so what they have is a, I don't know if you call it program, the exact word, but basically the grandmother donated her kidney altruistically essentially to somebody at that time that needed a kidney and then she basically got a ticket so that when her daughter needed a kidney 13 years later she said I donated now I can take out of that bank and give my my granddaughter a kidney. So for folks who are just doing this altruistically they're not looking to be part of a chain or match with someone they know and love you know what are some of the other misconceptions about donating a kidney that we need to know about I mean obviously we have two of them but you know, what is what is life like with just one kidney if you decide to donate? It's exactly the same. So I think that's what a lot of people don't really realize. You only need one kidney to function. And so they call it your spare. It's literally your spare kidney. You don't need your spare. Um, so you can live just as healthy of a life if you donate your one kidney. And the doctors and, and the transplant coordinators, if they are going to consider taking your kidney, they're going to do every single test imaginable to make sure that there's no reason why you would need your spare kidney yourself. Um, and it's a very vigorous process, not just physically making sure that you're the right person for it, but mentally as well. As with any big operation, any big decision like that, you're in really good hands with the transplant centers, making sure that they're taking it from the right person and giving to the right person. Excellent. And I suppose the other thing that we, you mentioned that you wanted to get out there and make sure people know about is some things that we should be doing for better kidney health, both to prevent having to need a kidney down the line, but also if we want to donate, making sure that we have two very strong ones so that we can give that spare away. So what are some things that typically we don't think of that would lead to good kidney health? Yeah, so the big thing is hydration and, and just living a healthy lifestyle. So you're at high risk for kidney disease if you have diabetes or if you have um, high blood pressure or hypertension. Um, and so that's just a simple, you know, make sure that you're treating your body well, eating right and exercising. Um, the big thing is getting regular tests. So if you go to your doctor, you should be going for annual checkups. You can ask them to do a blood test or a urine test to make sure that your kidneys are functioning healthy. Um, they refer to kidney disease as the silent killer because generally your symptoms don't show until it's too late, until you are at the need for a new kidney or you need to go on dialysis. Um, so that's why just regular checkups can help you figure out what your levels are. So if you're starting to near, your levels are starting to get to a place where you might have to consider something a little bit more drastic, you can get ahead of it beforehand. So regular checkups, making sure that you're eating healthy, if um, you're exercising regularly, kind of just like the regular, the regular check-ins. And what other information or what else do you want the folks who are here today at this wonderful event to keep in mind and think about? Um, I think the, the big thing is it's a beer event, but make sure you're hydrating while you're here because your <laughs> kidneys will appreciate it. And we have a really good kidney community in the area. Um, so if anybody's ever looking for more information, they can visit kidney.org and any of their kidney questions will be answered there. And any particular, as far as your particular chapter of this organization, how they reach out to you if they're uh, local to the region? Yeah, so they can um, visit kidneywalk.org, and my information is on that website. They can email me directly at andrea.janini at kidney.org. The last name's an Italian one, so I'll spell it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll also put it in the, in the yeah, description for you. <laughs> A-N-D-R-E-A dot G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I, and my phone number is 215-923-8611, extension 732. And just what is, how is this different from the Gift of Life or any other kidney organization that's out there? Yeah, so Gift of Life, um, they are a very wonderful, generous organization. And um, I don't want to steal too much of their thunder and explain it the wrong way, but they deal with um, deceased donors. So when somebody's deceased and they've agreed that they're going to donate their organs, they take on it. Um, kind of afterlife and we kind of take on before so people are considering living donation versus deceased donation Going um, back to either one healthy, exactly. Spare kidney donation exactly 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 very good well Andrea thank you so much for joining us here today and for being here at the event and uh, we hope uh, you're able to really reach on give everyone the right message yeah thank you for having me still not convinced you can live a perfectly happy life after donating your kidney Jason Notherft, who in full disclosure was the one who invited me to come out and produce this podcast episode, decided to donate his kidney to someone in need. And he said it was the best decision he ever made. So I, I was on Facebook, as I normally am, and <laughs> saw uh, 
a post by uh, someone from church, and she said that someone in the community needed a kidney, and it turned out to be the stepfather, one of my best friends, and so I immediately reached, uh, reached out to my best friend, uh, Stephen, and I said, listen, I've got to, uh, I've got all this time off from work, uh, I'm healthy, uh, I know Bill's a great guy, he's done a lot for the community, I'd like to volunteer my kidney, and he says, all right, I'll call you back. <clears throat> And like six months later, out of nowhere, he called me. Normally, he just texts me, so I knew there was something going on when he called me. And uh, he's like, are you still interested in doing it? And I said, absolutely. When do we start? And uh, so we, we started testing uh, at a transplant facility in Philadelphia. And uh, it took a little bit of a long process. And then we switched over to uh, New Jersey at a transplant center, Lady of Lords in Camden. And then it wasn't long after that that I actually donated my kidney. It was January 14th, 2014. Wow. So tell, take us through a little bit of that process. What were some of the things going through your head? And, you know, what were some of the things that you didn't realize were going to happen as part of this, you know, process? So one of the things that, a couple of things that I really went through my mind trying to decide this was, one, uh, my recipient, Bill Rohde, he's done so much for the community, whether it's, you know, working with the churches or working with the thrift stores or food baskets, um, or dressing up as Santa Claus for the parade and going out for the children. I also grew up in a family that was public service oriented. My grandfather did 66 years in the volunteer fire department before he passed away. My dad did 25, I did five. So like everything was very service oriented in my family. So I knew that it was something that if it was physically possible for me to do, I figured it was something I needed to do. From there, I figured it was a great way to get off for the summer at work. <laughs> <laughs> little, little did I know that that didn't actually happen uh, because it took a while for the testing uh, to occur. Uh, nor did I realize that the recovery would have been more difficult than just going to the hospital and coming home and being able to go to the beach every day. It just didn't, didn't work out like that. The, what I learned about it, pain is temporary. The recovery after surgery, I was out of the hospital in three days, and then I was back to work in four weeks. Oh, wow. And it was, it was a relatively painful four weeks, but the, I mean, the doctors gave me pain medication and all that, but I, I had to watch out. I didn't develop a hernia, um, made sure I was eating healthy, but eventually I came back to work, and then everything became fine. I'm, I'm a normal human being. I was just going to ask you, what's life been like? You know, I'd, I had just spoken to Andrea from the National Kidney Foundation, and as you said, really, that second kidney is a spare for most of us. And so have you really noticed any changes in your life since making this incredible decision to help somebody out? Uh, physically speaking, there's absolutely no difference in my life. I mean, when if you were to get kidney failure, once one kidney fails, the other one's not far behind. So a lot of people think, oh, you can just cut the first one out and then you'll be good to go because they're separate systems. But the reality is, is they're the same system. So, I mean, there's plenty of people who have donated organs and lived perfect lives. There's plenty of people who are born with one kidney, and they're living perfectly normal lives. But they say that living donors are the healthiest people because of all the screening that they have to go through. Like, they're not going to put an unhealthy person through an organ donation. So, I mean, I've never experienced any kind of surgery like this, but the odds of me living a long life are pretty good because I'm, I'm healthy. So... Folks who are hearing this, you know, a couple of weeks out from this event, what is it that you want to encourage them to do to be able to make an impact in somebody's life the way you did? Well, first, I would say uh, if, if you want, one of the easiest things that people can do is sign up to be an organ donor um, for the sad moment that they eventually were to pass away. Um, but that's, that's easy. You go to the DMV, you go to the Gift of Life Donor Program, uh, go to their kiosk and, and, and sign up. Um, but if you want to make an impact while you're alive, just consider uh, donating your kidney. Um, it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot to consider, but like I said, pain is temporary and the joy is, is permanent. You see, you can change someone's life, life instantaneously. Uh, when I uh, when I donated my kidney uh, in the hospital, uh, Lady Lords in Camden, they put us on a, uh, private rooms. My recipient was a couple rooms over, and 
they wanted us to go around and walk around the floor trying to get the blood flowing and I immediately first place I went was to my recipient's room and you could just immediately see the difference in his life his energy his happiness his joy his family like he there's I mean granted he just got major surgery but you could just feel that he, he li- he's living a new life awesome well Jason thank you so much for your contribution to your donor for setting a good example for everybody else uh, and for helping to put on this event and to raise awareness and um, personally for inviting me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. So no, thank absolutely. You. Thanks for coming out and speak to everybody. Okay, okay, I get it. Still a biased opinion. Well, what about Whitney, who I had no pre-existing relationship with and whose decision to donate had a surprising and positive ripple effect in her life? There was no decision needed to be made. It was for my mother. I matched her. Um, she needed one. I had two. Um, there really, there was no question about it. And even when the transplant coordinators asked about um, why are you looking to donate, my simple answer was, she's my mom. That's a pretty good answer. Um, was there, and you've sort of made it clear that there was no hesitation, but like, were there concerns? Were there anything that you were worried about when you were thinking about this? So the first step was to know that I matched her blood type wise. And then I contacted uh, the transplant coordinator that she was involved with, and they actually wouldn't look at me at first because she had polycystic. She had she still has one kidney, so she has polycystic kidneys, um, which is hereditary. But you can't be a carrier. You either have it or you don't have it. And they told me that they wouldn't look at me because it could uh, it could still show up to the age of 30. I was like. 29 in 8 months like seriously in 4 months is going to show up um, so I actually went the further step and went to my own I got a nephrologist went to the nephrologist and asked for genetic testing to be uh, ordered to prove that I did or did not have it and he's like based on the ultrasounds you don't have it I'm like yeah but I need something like physical right. <laughs> to tell me that I do not have it he's like but you don't have it I'm like I know but like I need, can, can you tell and I so I got the genetic testing done Went back a few months later. He's like, surprise, you don't have it. Told you. (laughs) (laughs) And then from there, I contacted the transplant uh, coordinators again. I'm like, okay, I don't have the thing you're worried about. Can Can we keep going? So what were some of the next steps that you had to take from the time where you said, you know, look, I'm in the clear. Let's do this. And to the point of actually, you know, going in for surgery. I had to meet with the coordinator people, social worker, make sure that I wasn't being paid on the black market for doing this or uh, doing it for the wrong reason or that, making sure that I was financially set, uh, insurancely set and everything to make the decision. Three weeks out, are you going to be paid for it? Are you going to be okay? Um, a lot of blood work, a lot of urines, a um, couple EKGs. I had a CAT scan, learned later that day that I'm allergic to IV contrast. Ooh. I... Uh, puffed up like a blowfish. It was very itchy and red and I looked like the Wayne brothers in White Chicks. <laughs> like, I have photos of it and they're like, you need to, they ended up putting me on steroids the next day and it went down but had no idea. It was like five hours later sitting at a bar having a beer and I'm like, is it really hot in here? I'm really itchy. And that's what it was. So, but after that, um, I matched her. We matched everything. Um, it kind of got put on hold a little bit. Um, my fiance at the time and I broke up. I'm like, I wasn't in an emotional state to deal with it. They contacted me and said, you know, we don't want to take up the list, but we're not going to pressure you at this moment. And I said, how much time do you need to have a decision for a date? They said about three weeks. I said, okay. How about, and they did, they did transplants Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I said, how about February 14th? And they said, Valentine's Day? I said, Yep. That's the best way to spend your, val- your first Valentine's Day single after seven years, then comatose. They said okay. I got, I got it approved for my job. Mom got it approved to have time off at her job. And we never looked back. And so how did you feel after waking up from surgery? Like, was there any major... Di- I obviously you went through surgery, which is, you know, going to be a pretty big ordeal, but... Um, you know, since this has happened, have you felt different? Is there anything that somebody who is cautious about this should know? I say I have phantom pain sometimes, but I, I know that's all it is. And it's more of like an itch than a pain. Um, 
I've gotten pain in my side. I'm like, well, I know it's not a kidney problem because I don't have one there. <laughs> um, no, woke up from surgery. Honestly, that was probably the most painful thing because they do a tap lock to numb you. Um, but they did it after they transferred me from the operating table to the bed, and that's when I woke up. But it was pain for, in my mind, five seconds. I really have no idea how long it actually was because I was so drugged up. Um, slept the first day. Best sleep I think I've ever had. Um, apparently I kept waking up multiple times and just said, guess what I did today? They're like, what? I'm like, I gave a kidney. <laughs> but the seventh time I was just like, we know. You gave a kidney. We got it. Um, I spent two full days in the hospital. Went home surgery on Tuesday. Went home Thursday. Mom was actually, she came to walk to me, which is not the normal apparently, but she's been to surgeries before. She gave birth. I've, this is the biggest pain I've ever had to deal with. Um, I will say, you know, the first day having to walk to the bathroom from the hospital bed, it was an ordeal of like 20 minutes just to get there. Um, but I'm also stubborn. I wouldn't ask for help, dropped a water bottle, I'm trying to kick it up the wall. <laughs> Finally, I walked to the nurse's station, I'm like, can I have help? I'm like, what do you need? I'm like, can you just pick up my Gatorade? Like, I can't reach it. But a few days home, um, medication only at night, Tylenol during the day, was able to drive, I think 10 days later, went back to work, work three, three days, uh, three, excuse me, three weeks later. Um, I met someone here at the Spice, uh, Spice of Life thing three years ago, and she had said, if I had 100 kidneys to give away, I'd give away 100 more. And I remember thinking, like, you are crazy. And now that I've done it, I'm like, if I had 100 kidneys, I would totally give 100 away. My best friend lives in North Carolina, and she's looking because she knows someone that needs one. And it's her basketball coach in Jersey that coached her her entire life. And she's like, well, what? It? I'm like, dude, if you think you want to do it, just do it. Look into it. Pain is temporary, and the and the, the gift that you're giving is remarkable. And seeing that in my mother, and seeing how she is now than she was when she was on dialysis at her absolute worst, is worth it. And so, yeah, tell us how is your mom doing today? She's good. She's had a couple setbacks that are unrelated to the kidney, but she's she's great. This past time in the hospital, she's sitting there, and we're visiting her, and I'm like, "Are you faking? Because you you seem fine. You're laughing. You're joking. You're mad that you can't get the Hallmark Channel on your." TV in the hospital and she called concierge and guess what she got Hallmark Channel in her hospital room which if you know my mother it would totally make sense Hallmark Channel and Bravo that's all she really watches um, I know those people <laughs> no she's she's doing fantastic and just to, to see how, how it's like get my mom back like I remember her before she ever got sick before knowing what it was like and then 2015 is when she first went downhill and she was in and out of the hospital for most of the year and this is, I mean, it's awesome. She gave me life, and I was able to give it back to her, really, in all intents and purposes. So, Such a beautiful story. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for sharing this gift with your mother and for telling everyone about this experience and um, why it's something to be embraced and not feared. Thank you. While there, I also sat down with Jenna, who has family that works at Forgotten Boardwalk, but also thinks it's so important for people to register as organ donors today. So my, uh, my family has polycystic kidney disease. It's one of the um, most common uh, kidney diseases. My grandma died when actually I was like a little kiddo uh, from it. And yeah, it's okay. Uh, my dad was, uh, my, uncle, my uncle actually gave my dad a kidney uh, probably about 15 years ago. But we've all had the genetic testing and we know that it's myself, my sister, my twin sister, my younger sister. I have two cousins that both have it. My aunt has it. Uh, so it's a 50-50 thing, but we keep on uh, apparently getting, I don't know if it's heads or tails on that one. But, um, but what's interesting is that, you know, the, the medicine hasn't, actually hasn't changed that much from when, uh, you know, my grandma actually, you know, was diagnosed with it way back when. You know, kidney transplants are still the way to, to care for it. And, you know, people de- develop it at different rates, but we're all 100% people who are going to potentially be in need within the next, you know, 10, 20 years uh, of, kidney, uh, of kidneys. So... So what do you do knowing that you're going to potentially need a kidney somewhere down the line? Like, how do you encourage? And knowing that, you know, it sounds like there's not a lot of options in your family to get them. So, like, how do you, you know, handle that? Like, what are you, what steps are you taking to be proactive? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's really awkward to come up to your friends and ask who's a B, uh, blood <laughs> type. But, um, no, uh, you know, I think, I think actually things like this are, are a good opportunity to talk about it because it is kind of weird and like kind of day-to-day conversation but you know making sure that people hear the story you know I think sometimes you know I'll mention things about my dad and uh, and people like I've never thought about that and uh, 
And it can be an interesting conversation for folks who haven't thought about, like, did I check yes on my driver's license? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, and it's certainly different for different states. Uh, so trying to trying to make it like a personal thing, I think, can sometimes help. Just because, you know, if you don't know someone who needs a, an organ, I think it can kind of um, fall by the wayside. And so, are there steps that you can take now to sort of ensure that when you need one or when you're ready, that there's one sort of waiting for you? Uh, keep those B uh, blood type friends close by. Um, <laughs> Be nice to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but also, you know, I think, um, again, just, just make sure people are aware that, you know, it's, it's this thing that you can do as a living uh, donor. I think, you know, Seth is an excellent story that I, I know you chatted with him earlier. Um, because, you know, you don't need to wait for someone to, to be, you know, so sick that they, you know, can't carry on. You know, I think even just finding folks who are willing to give uh, as, like, you know, blind donors, uh, just it builds a base so that, you know, it may not be my kidney uh, necessarily that I'm getting, but it, it could be, you know, somebody helping someone else's. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Andrea from the National Kidney Foundation earlier, and she was talking about these chains that go, you know, as small as four people to up as many as 100. So if you know a couple of folks are willing to donate a kidney, they might not even be a match, but they can start to facilitate that for you. And so, yeah, and I think uh, I think that's an important piece of it. So, so what else? Um, so not only are you here, but you have family that works here at Forgotten Boardwalk. So, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your favorite beers that when you come here, what you enjoy. Yeah. Uh, yes, I appreciate that. I uh, have a chance to sample a lot of the beers <laughs> here. Um, uh, you know, the the spicy, the lady number eight is actually probably one of my favorites. But uh, as somebody who likes a lot of hops, uh, the pocket trick, they came out with a, like a new iteration of it in the last year. And I love that one. I, it's not on yet. It's a special release. It's an Imperial IPA. Ooh, okay. Because I was just asking Jamie about the IPAs. And so she was telling me all about the fake radio wars one, but that one didn't come up yet in conversation. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that, be on the lookout for that one. Well, I live around the corner, so I should be able to get here pretty fast <laughs> if, if and when that comes out. Anything else that you think folks should know about living organ donations or organ donations or, or specifically kidney don donations mm -hmm, that we mm -hmm. haven't talked about? Uh, just make sure that you, you know if you are a donor or not. I think that's step one. And then if you're not, you know, take a moment and think about, you know, if you can help someone out at some point. Perfect. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. I get it. I get it. Hearing this may not make you want to run out and just randomly give away your kidney. Although, hopefully you realize now that you could if someone in need comes calling. But the whole event should also convince you that being an organ donor, checking that box on your driver's license can save so many. Satira Oberfrank, a volunteer at the Gift of Life donor program, dispels some myths about being an organ donor and why there's really no reason you can't be one. And also why, as a living donor, she is just awesome. There are so many myths around organ donation, and I actually love dispelling them with people. Um, one of the biggest myths that I seem to get from people is if something were to happen to me, uh, of course the doctors in the ER won't save me, uh, <laughs> which is absolutely hysterical because I always like to say, you know, a doctor in an ER wants to come in and they want to save at the end of the day. They want to have many, many life savings. Um, so when something are to happen to you, it's actually a very specific type of death that you can uh, donate organs with. You have to have a brain death. So you have to have a trauma to your brain, a stroke, something like that to be an actual organ donor. If you come in with a heart death, um, heart cardiac arrest, you actually aren't a candidate to be an organ donor. So it really is a specific type of death. Uh, and there's a long procedure to determine if you can be an organ donor. They do a test at uh, the time of death to make sure that you are brain dead. And then 12 hours later, they rerun the tests over again just to confirm that there is brain death and no life activity. So, right, it's not like you get into a car accident, EMS arrives at the scene, and the first thing they look and check the card to see, organ donor, all right. Let's just wait this one out, folks. Right? Well, it doesn't happen. Which is really awesome because I was an EMT for 13 years. Oh, okay. And in my 13 years of being an EMT, I never once looked at someone's driver's license. And I never walked into an ER and anybody look at the driver's license and say, whoa, we're going we're gonna to get organs this way. So, no, that is, that is definitely not the way it happens. As an EMT, I wanted to save people. I wanted to make sure they went home to their families. So there's really very little reason why people shouldn't be willing to donate their organ should they run into this unique and you know isolated scenario that they would be able to absolutely not uh, one of the reasons I, I talk about organ donation is I feel it's my little joke with people is 
I'm a pretty awesome person and, and most people <laughs> are pretty awesome in this world and we do wonderful things and if something were to happen to me the best thing in my scenario would be this awesomeness would be able to live on in somebody else uh, I would love my life to continue in somebody else's life and they're they be able to do things with their families because of me so tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the spice of life event and and how it has been good for your organization um, well, for me, I, I began to advocate for organ donation seven years ago after I donated my kidney. Um, I realized there were a lot of people out there that were desperately needing organs, and there were people who have these misconceptions and these uh, issues of why they wouldn't register. So I felt it was important to get out and to advocate um, for everybody so that you know we could get people to register. Um, I've been doing the Spice of Life event um, for the last, I believe, five years. I started, um, actually is one of the first events I did as a volunteer with the Gift of Life. Um, so for me, it's a great way to get people registered. Uh, it's a great way to talk to people and dispel myths and to talk to people about living donation as well. Um, I think a lot of people are uh, scared of being a living donor. So if they can see me and they can see I'm active, they can see that it's really an easy surgery and that it's something that they may possibly want to do. Well, and as you stated earlier, you are pretty awesome because you have <laughs> donated your kidney to someone else. You've donated bone marrow. Like, tell us about that decision to donate your kidney to someone from what, your mom's church. Is that what it was? Um, yes. Um, for me, uh, years ago, I think it was about 15 years ago now, I donated bone marrow, and that was just uh, getting on the National Bone Marrow Registry. It was kind of one of those things that I didn't think I'd ever get picked because it is so type-specific. Um, I won the lottery and was able to uh, donate to a young uh, boy. Um, and after that, I'd met somebody who was a kidney donor and um, kind of put it in the back of my head. And one day at my mom's church, somebody said that one of their fellow parishioners was going to need a kidney. So my mom kind of basically said, uh, my daughter will do that. <laughs> so she passed my information along. And uh, I was a perfect match. And honestly, now that I look back, I feel that I've gained more from organ donation than what I gave away. I mean, who needs an extra kidney? They're just, you know, sitting around doing nothing. Um, so for me, I've gained so much more from this experience than probably what I gave. And and as you said earlier, and as, you know, I'm sitting here as a witness, I can tell, like, there's no, there's nothing about you that would say to me, like, oh, clearly this person is down a few organs. Like, that's just not the case. You're living a healthy, happy, thriving life and doing what you love every day. Yes, and I actually feel at this point in my life, I'm probably a little bit more healthier because I actually go to the doctors every year on my own accord just to make sure my blood work is tested. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things they do talk about is, is living a healthy lifestyle. We have the transplant games um, through the Gift of Life and through the National uh, Donate Life Program, and it talks about health with recipients and health with donors. Um, so with those things, I almost think sometimes I'm a little bit healthier than I would have been because I probably would never go to the doctor unless I'm sick. Right, this has sort of forced you to think about those decisions that you make every day and you're making healthier and better ones yes. because you you sort of have to definitely yes well that's very cool so Tara anything else that you think that we should know about uh, the gift of life donor program or spice of life event that uh, folks you know we haven't covered well with the gift of life program I would just read urge everybody to register um, to be an organ donor it is on your drive if it's not on your driver's license and you didn't, you didn't say yes at the DMV um, if you go to donors1.org, you can register there. Or if you go to donatelife.net, um, you can register there to be an organ donor. And the second most important thing, I think, I know there's a lot of people who are already registered. One of the sec one of the second, I'm sorry, one of the most important things is to talk to your family about it. I think it's very important for everybody uh, to know that's your wish. That way, if something were to happen and they ask you, that you would, um, that your family would know your wishes. Very good. And again, that was donor one, the number one, or Correct. ONA? Donor one, the number one, dot org. Donor one, dot org. Become a donor today. So, Tyra, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much. And lastly, I want to make sure we give a lot of props to the good folks at Forgotten Boardwalk who put on this awesome event. Evan Wasilik, and apologies if I just butchered his name, is the head brewer and talks about some of the special brews made just for this event and a few others that piqued my curiosity. I'll share a picture of the list in the show notes, but let's start with Lady Number 8, brewed specifically for this event five years ago. Well, I mean, I guess the whole event, the original head brewer came up with that first, the Lady 8, the watermelon, uh, basil, and pepper blend that was okay. Dave. And he put up that, but then after that, like, because we have multiple heads here working, and we all like different styles of beer as well, Like especially when it comes to 
like alcohol beverages, like cocktails and whatnot. We kind of play with all of these different ideas of whether it's fruit or spices, and we just throw things together and see what <laughs> sounds like it might be, what might be interesting. You know, every month we have first work and Friday, so we have, you know, same concept. Once a month, a, one of our beers, a new fruit or spice or whatever variant to kind of play and learn with new flavors. So everything is always just kind of like a, a round table, so to speak, and we're always spitballing back and forth. So what's your latest concoction that we should all be excited about that we should all come and check out at Forgotten Ooh, Boardwalk? Yeah, the new one over there, uh, those are a couple gin barrels that we have from Asbury Park Distilling okay. in New Jersey, and those are uh, obviously spent gin barrels, so they gave them to us. And what we're going to do is a, a series of kettle soured Saison beers and then f- go through a secondary fermentation in the barrels with fruit. So far we have mango and uh, peach as two definites. The other two were kind of working out. Raspberry, something to that effect. But so some uh, barrel aged uh, fruited sour saisons. So those are the new things out for the spring. Very cool. So Lady Eight, like, and it looks like I'm looking at the list of the beers that are available today. How does this whole Lady theme come about? Lady Five, Sixteen, and Seventeen. Like, what's that all about? Ooh, the actual Lady history. I mean, Jamie would definitely give you a better answer on that one. But just the idea behind what the butler saw and how it is uh, based on this voyeur kind of looking through the keyhole. You look at the can design. It's actually like kind of a skirt legging type design <laughs> if you catch it. But uh, so the lady is what the butler saw. Essentially, that's kind of like the playoff of the story. So every lady variant of the beer is what the butler saw. All right, technically. Man. And so, I mean, since, you know, you're you're partially responsible for a lot of the, the beers that are here, mm-hmm. it's... You know, like picking your children, but what's your personal favorite forgotten boardwalk brew that you, you know, somebody says, I don't know if you guys are any good. Like, what's the go-to? You say, this is the one you got to try. This is our standout, you know. Well, we, lo- we do have a lot of really cool beers that we put out seasonally throughout the year, but one of my personal favorites might be uh, the Gravity Road, the Imperial Stout. That That's we- the one in the bourbon barrel? Yes, right okay. now. We actually just brewed it again this week. It's actually this one bubbling behind you in the tank. Oh, so uh, I shouldn't so drink that out of that the- directly. <laughs> not yet. It's not quite done. It's still working. But that is one of my personal favorites, beer. Big, dark chocolate, big roast on the end, and it's a full-bodied. It's a, it's a really nice imperial style for the style. I'm going to have to let my wife know she's a big fan of any bourbon barrel. Oh, definitely. Beer, if so. you haven't had it up front yet, definitely go try it. And uh, me, personally, I'm an IPA guy, so talk to me about the fake radio mm. war. I feel like this is a that's like a, a perfect amalgamation of everything I like IPA and it's even referencing radio, which is what I do. So Absolutely. I feel like I have to have it. I mean, yeah, it's all you know, it's all the story of uh, uh, Orson Welles in New Jersey and the War of the Worlds and everything. But the kind of idea behind the beer was kind of drawing the inspiration, obviously, from the West Coast and kind of early generation of American IPAs where it was a, had a little bit more of a bitter edge at least and we're using some of the more of the classic ones like Chinook, uh, Summit you know it's not your necessarily super sexy tropical fruit hops because those also weren't what they kind of were even 5-10 years ago barely a decade and we have a whole new reign of IPAs nowadays but uh, yeah so maintain some of that resinous, some of the piney quality but then that Amarillo hop gives in just little punches of fruit that blends really well so you know it's kind of what we all came into the craft beer market with, you know, not your, you know, today's like Northeast IPA, big juicy ones. So we just wanted to go back to that and draw inspiration and try to go something classic, but blending it with those older hops and some of the newer age, like Amarillo style hop. And lastly, but certainly not least, Jamie Quelly, owner and CEO of Forgotten Boardwalk, on why this charity event is a celebration for her and the entire staff, and honestly, the entire community that comes out. Also, why her roots and charitable nature have not been forgotten, no pun intended, amid all of her success with this company. This was a, an event that we conjured up about five years ago, and uh, Seth, our business partner over here and our salesperson, uh, donated his kidney successfully to his mom uh, approximately 13 years ago. So what we wanted to do when we celebrated this event was kind of like... Uh, celebrate you know organ donation and um it kind of feels a little morbid but uh (laughs) we kind of celebrate everybody that has received a a 
organ donation or is like in need of an organ donation, just kind of raise awareness that you can be doing your part. Um, you don't have to be a donor and like give away your organs, but just your little part of like, you know, having your organs being uh, sort of if something ever, God forbid, happens to you when you're driving, um, just having it on your the back of your license or, or stuff to that effect. So uh, what we tried to do with this event was uh, make it about the celebration. And that's why we call it the Spice of Life. And we make a whole bunch of like spicy beers and we're just trying to maintain an active and healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I got a chance to talk to Evan about some of the beers that were made for the event. So they sound awesome. And I understand it's not just this event that like the Forgotten Boardwalk brand itself is all about philanthropy and is all about charity. And take us, tell us a little bit about why that's so important to you in Forgotten Boardwalk. Um, I mean, like, it, it, it's a little bit about being ingrained in your community. Um, I also uh, often say that this is a uh, not-for-profit brewery, uh, <laughs> just due to the fact that we don't make a profit sometimes. Um, but, like, we try to, to give back to our community as much as we possibly can, just to sort of be a part of it as well. Um, so we've done everything from shark preservation, which is really important to us, to uh, ocean preservation, which is also really important to us. Um, you know, I, I often kind of, like, feel like I'm a tree hugger in a sort of way, so um, it's just really something that we've been trying to do since day one is, is give a little bit back wherever we can. I understand the ski ball money goes to a different charity every month. Every quarter. Every, every quarter. quarter. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't generate a ton of money. Uh, but still, every little bit helps yep. whoever you know you're willing to give it to. Um, so take us a little bit even further back. Tell us a little bit more about Forgotten Boardwalk. How you guys got started, and have you always been here in Cherry Hill? So, no, I'm actually a shore girl, so I kind of grew up in, like, the Asbury Park area, and that's where, like, thematically a lot of our stories kind of came from. Uh, A good portion of our stories are still from Asbury Park or Spring Lake. Uh, The theme of Forgotten Boardwalk was to celebrate the entire 126-mile worth of boardwalk that New Jersey has. It's the longest boardwalk in the world. So um, that's really how, like, I kind of, like, got into, you know, the theme. And then uh, Cherry Hill to me is uh, welcomed me. So it was not necessarily where I came from, but uh, Flying Fish was located in our facility. And when they moved on out, I was just so happened to be looking for a facility of the same size. And the township kind of called and they said, like, we have a space that we think would work for you. It's already been sort of outfitted in a certain way. There was no equipment here, but it's been outfitted in a certain way that, like, we knew enough water was coming in, enough power was coming in that it could probably work for you. So I came in here and I I loved it. So I just kind of made this my second home. That's a fantastic facility. And so for, I mean, outside of this Sunday event, you know, it's been a packed house. People playing mini golf, doing the operation trying the beer we had the uh, the barbecue guys outside what else can people expect if they stop by the tasting room during the week and other weekends you know i often say we're a bunch of freaks and geeks we welcome <laughs> everybody so i think if you're looking for a good time and a good friend this is the place that you want to come and like hang out uh we try not to be pretentious and we try to be welcoming so you can have a beer and have a chit chat and meet some new friends um I'm looking around even right now and there's a lot of people that just met for the first time a couple weeks ago and like they all knew they were going to come here and they're they're meeting again and having a beer. And... Hi. That's great. I think Seth, <laughs> Seth is making everybody nervous right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, yeah. Uh, he's back. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, it's just if you want to come and have a drink and and feel like you're going to learn a little bit about the beer that you're drinking and not feel uncomfortable, this is the place that you kind of want to come to. All right, so let's talk about the beer that we're drinking. What are like what's one or two of the beers that are out today that have a special place in your heart or that if someone says, tell me about yourself, like what are the one or two that you're going to be like, these are the ones you got to come to and try immediately? Yeah, well, Forgotten Boardwalk for me, uh, the beer that's always near and dear to my heart is definitely Funnel Cake. Uh, so it's not a beer for today, but it's a beer that we always make. Uh, it's special to me because, like, I thought it was really kind of radical of us at that time to open up with a beer that's a cream ale with some vanilla bean. You know, it's an IPA world right now, and I made a flagship beer, a cream ale, and um, I thought I was going to be laughed out of the state at that time. But um, it is just an easy drinking beer, and it's our number one selling beer. And um, I love that it's still in the portfolio and that people really have gravitated towards it. So I would definitely tell people to try that one. As of today, all the spicy beers are really great. So I would say Lady Number 8. It's been produced every single year since we've been doing this event. And um, it's some watermelon, um, some uh, spice, some pepper, and uh, a little bit of basil. 
and uh, we it's just a fun beer for us to sort of drink. It gives you more of an impression of heat. It's not actually hot, so it's pretty cool. All right, so I'm one of those hipster IPA guys, so yeah. which one do you recommend that I try? Oh, man, are you like juicy beers, though, or yeah. is it just an IPA? Just an IPA. Fake Radio War, okay, for sure. That's, that's what I thought. That's what Evan told me I should try, yeah. and I figured... It's an IPA. It's radio, which obviously I'm a little accustomed to. Yeah. I, I got to give that one a shot. Yeah, so. it's a, it's also about the story of Orson Welles right. and making everybody panic during War of the Worlds, which actually apparently took place-ish in New Jersey. He recorded right. it right, right here. It's supposed to be out of Princeton. Yeah, yeah. and then also the um, aliens invaded Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Right. So uh, we wanted to really have a lot of fun with that beer. Radio, Martians, uh, you know, it panicked the entire nation, apparently. So we're like, this is a great west coast ipa because like we felt that story traveled from the east to the west um so it's a really cool beer it's got pine it got some resin uh we use amarillo in that as well so the nice part about it is even though it's piney and grassy and it's like licking a pine cone and everything wonderful about that (laughs) but it, it still has amarillo so you have that really good like sort of sweet citrus at the back end so uh, if you're an IPA person, that one for me just knocked me out of the park. Evan did a really great job. You can learn more about Forgotten Boardwalk at ForgottenBoardwalk.com. So if you're inspired to become a kidney donor or learn more about organ donations, we encourage you to check out Kidney.org and GiftOfLife.org. And as always, we'll be setting up a special donation page as part of this episode, this time benefiting the National Kidney Foundation in honor of this event and specifically in honor of the amazing gifts that were made by Seth, Whitney, Jason, and so many others who attended this particular event. Now, before we wrap up, I want to take a moment to thank Jason and Seth for inviting me to join them and congratulate them on this really, really cool event. Uh, I hope I get invited to podcast from next year. Either way, looking forward to just stopping by with the family to check it out. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. I want to thank our newest team member, producer Carolyn Quash, who does an amazing job keeping this passion project of mine going. She is awesome, and I don't think this would have the staying power without her help. So, you know, give it up for Caroline when you can. So if you've been inspired by the work of our guests, please check out the show notes in your podcast app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their work and a special donation link to support the cause of each episode. This week in particular, we're talking about kidney.org the National Kidney Foundation. From there, you can also follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And of course, follow us on social media. Also, if this is your first time checking this out, you should know there is a special Facebook group dedicated to those people who produce cause-based podcasts. So if you are already podcasting for a cause or you're thinking about launching one, Join the group. You'll find that we've provided some great resources specifically for you. And hopefully we can arrange some special nonprofit pricing of various services to help you with your venture and keep you under budget. And lastly, if you are a cause potter, someone who is producing a podcast for a cause and want to join me for an interview here on this show, please, please check out causepods.org. Fill out the interview request form. Caroline will reach out. We'll schedule you for chat and share the amazing work you're doing with your cause-based podcast and hopefully raise some awareness as well as raise some funds for what you're doing. I want to thank you again for listening to this special edition of Cause Pods and we will see you next time. (laughs) 